0: Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kira Maguire. Both of us quite excited because later in the show we'll be hearing from Mark Underwood, Kit Supremo, Hummel. UK Uh, we've we've just spoken to him uh, I don't think he was that delighted Kieran when we promised to inundate him with some of the kit designs we've had (laughs) (laughs) we've had in our old old drawers since the school days but he was polite enough to say well yeah somebody somebody in the team might eventually look at them but it was a fascinating interview with a lot of really good insight into how kits are designed made the relationship between the club and it was really really interesting and also, why colours have got such strange names these days? But, <laughs> but it's Newsday, Kieran. How are you? Did you did Nottingham Forest? Congratulations to them. We are now in the Premier League. That that most expensive game in the world. We talked about our most valuable game is now they've got that kick, bollock scramble to try and <laughs> buy enough players with that money to stay in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah,
1: uh, yeah! Fantastic, fantastic news for us. Proper, you know, proper old school club. So a uh, lot of affection, to, uh, yeah, especially if anybody remembers the the glory days of of Clough and Taylor. Yeah. Um. When, when the whole country used to want the your your na- your national representative to win the, yep. win the European Cup, which which has certainly changed in terms of modern culture. Uh, yeah, yeah, all is good. Um, I'm uh, I'm thoroughly looking forward to uh, the quiz on Thursday night as well. So uh, yeah, yeah, we're we, all, all ready to go.
0: Excellent. Uh, there is still one promotion place to sort out, and that's the last place in League Two, in the National League playoff final taking place this weekend at the London Stadium, home of West Ham, between Grimsby and Solihull Moors. Uh, I know there was some disquiet when it was announced it was going to be at the London Stadium, Kieran, because all seven of the teams that were going to be involved at the top of that division were based in the north mm. and now there's even more disquiet about the prices for that final
1: yes um and uh it, it, it's a long time since we've given the the national league uh, any stick yeah um, and i think i think it's fair to say that they, they've seemed to have gone under our radar for a while and, and that that's actually quite good news yeah yeah, yeah. but um uh, if, if you're an adult uh, you've got a choice of two prices of tickets 40 quid or 45 i'm going oh. hold on um, because, uh, yeah, we're recording this show on the Wednesday, and tonight at Wembley, you can go to the, uh, the, the, the meeting, you know, the, the, what's it called? The um between the champions of South America, Argentina, and the champions of Europe, yep. Italy. And, and the cheapest tickets for that are 25 quid. Uh, and you get to see, uh, you know, Lionel Messi, probably in his last ever appearance in this country. So... Forty to forty-five pounds of the ticket prices for the final of the playoffs, plus, and this is where they really are starting to take their Mickey, plus a three pounds booking fee, oh, and then oh. they say uh, we're going to charge you a a ninety-nine p digital delivery fee. Okay, what? yeah, that that's they're going to charge you for the privilege of printing off your ticket on your laptop using your ink and your electricity.
0: That's an outrage. I mean, that's. It's, that's it's, I mean, that's on top of the fact that it's it's on a Sunday, it's it's a the Sunday at the end of a long bank holiday, so people will be travelling all over the place anyway. They've got to come from Cleethorpes and Grimsby and Solihull, yeah, and pay forty forty five pounds for a ticket plus three pounds for a booking fee plus ninety nine p for the privilege of them sending you the ticket over the eve it's I, I presume, not, this is nothing to do with the London Stadium. So West Ham take no blame in this. This is entirely no, down no. to the National League. The, well, the, this, this, these prices will have been agreed
1: between the landlord of uh, the the London Stadium, presumably, but and the National League, who must have had significant input. Um, and, and then we've seen, um, seen some responses. First of all. Um a huge hats off to the grimsby town supporters trust they yeah. they've they've set up a, a fighting fund to to try to buy tickets to allow fans who otherwise couldn't afford so they've already raised twenty thousand pounds very good um on this uh you know so if if you go to their their website of, and if anybody listening wants to help out they they give details of their bank account and they're trying to buy tickets because it is uh yeah you know, time time times are tough. And, and then, and so, so how Moors put out put out a message to say they are surprised by the large number of concessionary tickets that are being bought, i.e., it, it, people are buying kids stroke OAP tickets <laughs> for twenty quid each. Um, and they're going sort of, the full Mrs. Doubtfire um, in terms of of how they dress for the match.
0: That's hilarious, but it's it's just. It's exploitation, Kieran. I mean, Grimsby uh, were proud members of the Football League and, of course, they're desperate to go back. Solihull Moors, this is all new for them. Mm. Their fans are going to go. They know that. The National League know that Grimsby fans and Solihull Moors fans are going to go. And I don't know what the average ticket prices are in the National League. but I'm guessing some of the the shine, some of the gloss will have been taken off the celebrations for Solihull Moors and Grimsby. And, I mean, incidentally, the Wrexham-Grimsby game was astonishing. Yes. But but yeah. suddenly, Grimsby fans are on their way home celebrating, and they they get the news that not only have they probably got to spend upwards of 60, 70, 80 quid or more to get down to London, they've got to spend 45 quid on a ticket and, and another £3 and another 99 pence. It's just – it is there's no other word for it, Cure. It's exploitation. It's shocking. It is. It um... is. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a great achievement to get to the final. It will be
1: a memorable occasion, but y- you don't like feeling that somebody's taking your trousers down.
0: And, uh, really, uh really do, yeah. Also, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm quite disappointed to be missing Leonor Messel's last game tonight. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he's gone under the radar, that player. He's been totally dominated by the other one, hasn't he? Um, Michael Owen has come in for criticism over claims about his new NFT non-fungible tokens. I don't see how he can come in for criticism, Kieran, because he made it quite plain that it's impossible to lose money on these. He spelt well, it out in some detail, so why are we criticising it? <laughs> he,
1: he did indeed. So uh, uh, so, so Michael Owen has has agreed to uh, have uh, non-fungible tokens, and for those people who are unfamiliar, it gives you digital ownership of uh, of perhaps a picture of Michael Owen at some of the iconic moments of his career, uh, perhaps as you know, perhaps that time when he was at the soccer skills course and he decided to hit twenty-two goals uh, past a thirteen-year-old goalkeeper yeah. and celebrate each one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you yeah, know, good, yeah, well, good at, stuff,
0: Michael. Or that that time he dived for a penalty against Argentina. Yes. Yeah. Or that that time at Ascot when he point-blank refused to talk to me. And then when he did said live on air, if I'd known it was you, I wouldn't have done this interview. I still don't know what I've done to upset him, but obviously, I've I've never forgotten it.
1: <laughs> so yeah, he he came out um, and said, uh, uh, and and I quote: "My NFTs will be the first ever yeah. that can't lose their initial value." And you thought, wow. And then then sort of the yeah you know that, that saying we've got if something sounds too good to be true. <laughs> It's normally not true. Um, so, so let let's say that you can buy these things first. Let's say that I don't know, I don't know. have oh, not looked at the price. Let's say you, if you go and pay fifty quid each for a, a photograph of uh, Michael Owen, which which anybody else uh, can copy and download. Um, and, and I think we've we've said this before. It's it's the uh, but you've you've got you, you've got a certificate of authenticity on your phone. Um, yeah, and we've said this before. It's, it's it's the equivalent of of letting everybody else sleep with your partner. Yeah, that could be husband or wife, but you've got the marriage certificate, so so that's okay. Yeah, that's that's the that's the argument that's put forward by the fans of NFTs.
0: Kieran, um, thank, uh, can I just thank you for putting it like that, rather than the rather more blunt way you put it during the live show at Accrington.
1: <laughs> well, that, come along to a live show and you can get the, you can get the full version. You can get the full version of that. <laughs> I, I don't want to upset producer guy. I don't, I don't want one of those that, those soulful conversations. <laughs> he says, Kieran, you, you, you might upset some of the sponsors if you say say it that way. Yeah. Um, but uh, so he says that they can't lose their initial value, and indeed they you can't because you are not allowed to sell them at below the original purchase price, uh, which okay. means that they are worthless. Yeah, you know, if, if the market value is below, so if, if let's say they're fifty quid and there's nobody offering offering you more than fifty quid, and you say, "Well, okay, I'll sell it for 40. you're not allowed to sell it for forty. So uh, you, you have to accept that you've you've got this picture of Michael Owen grumpily going along with an interview with you at, at Ascot, um, and nobody wants to buy it, and therefore, or or nobody wants to buy it at at the original price. So um, I think it is it is disingenuous in the yeah. extreme for him to come out with that comment. Now it could be that he didn't quite understand the the nature of the arrangement. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll. But if, if you don't, then then don't sign up for it in the first yeah. place. If, if you're trying to sell something and you don't know what it means, then how can you expect people to buy it in good faith at the same time?
0: Yeah. He didn't understand some fairly simple questions that I asked him at Ascot, so I'm not surprised. But I mean, technically he's he's he is correct. I mean in, in sort of full yes Prime Minister mode, he is technically correct. But as you say, for people like me who don't understand that thing, it, it is sort of disingenuous in the least because you would buy it expecting to be sitting on a little gold mine, basically. Like mm. I'm I I'm only ever gonna be making a profit out of this but only because you can't sell it at a loss that's a strange rule it's a one we'll keep an eye on um redbird capital partners who we have mentioned on many occasions have reached an agreement to buy milan ac milan
1: yes this is this is a deal that's gone through uh i think it's milan have been subject to a, a pretty much a, a corporate pass the parcel uh, in in recent years, mm. um, they uh, they were owned, of course, by Silvio Berlusconi. Who yeah. the more the, I've seen some pictures of him recently, and he, he's looking more and more like Max Headroom as the day goes by. But I think I think he's, I think the lads had a bit of work done. Yeah, to put it mildly.
0: Um, it's, then, Kira, then it he's, so- a, he's kept several scaffolding companies in work. <laughs> you know, he's had he's had a lot of work done. Kira, let's face it. <laughs>
1: Indeed. Um, so uh he he sold it to uh owners who then got into financial problems um and they were they they then sold it to a company called Elliott who bought it for 300 million euro about 4 years ago and they've now sold it to Redbird Capital which is a very very big fund owned by or controlled by a guy called Jerry Cardinale. Uh, for one point two billion, so so th- this is people say, yeah, why buy a football club? Can you make money? Well, they've quadrupled their their investment over four years. Wow, um, uh, yeah, and that that's uh, yeah, that that's 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 more money than even Uncle some of Uncle Terry's yeah. s- schemes that used to encourage me to go for. Now, now Redbird Capital also own ten percent of FSG, who are the Liverpool owners. Yeah. so so they are just within the threshold because it. it, it other, we could have a potential problem if they owned more of FSG, and, and I don't think they will following this deal. Um, in terms, yeah, you know, what happens if Liverpool play Milan in yeah, group games course. or or Champions League? So, so you are effectively uh, you know, you're capped at this ten percent threshold in terms of ownership of two clubs. But it, it does show that even in an environment in which clubs are losing money, and remember, Elliot have, have owned and uh, Milan during four years in which the clubs lost a lot of money, you can still. Uh, you can still make money on a sale, um, and this is why there is so much American interest uh, in in European um, and English football at present. Yeah, do we know the amount of money involved in buying the club? Yeah, it's uh, one point two billion. So it's it's four times the amount that uh, that Elliot already bought it for, right. and I believe that Elliot are keeping a a small stake themselves. In the club, so I think they've probably sold you know around about 90% of it. Um, and yeah, if, if the value goes up again, then, then
0: they'll hope to, to cash in once more, right? Um, a symbolic moment for Chelsea fans, Kieran. All the frozen assets at the club are now unfrozen, so I presume that means that uh, they can go back to the club shop and buy the merchandise, uh, and so on and so forth. Yes, yes, they can. Um, so the deal. Has, has gone
1: through. Um, we've seen a lot of movement at uh, Companies House in recent days. Uh, Chelsea, uh, Chelsea themselves have issued shares and have generated quite a bit of cash on the back of this. And I think that's quite important. We're recording this on the on the 1st of June. And remember yep. the licence uh, granted by the government, which allowed Chelsea to try trade, that expired on the 31st of May. So, uh, you know, more and more details will be coming through on a daily basis as to the nature of the new directors. But we know it is Todd Bowley's um, organization um and everything that you couldn't do at Chelsea for the last three months yeah you know, things like selling tickets so yeah you know, they, they can't they they, they they couldn't sell season tickets for yeah. next season oh, of course and, yeah. I, and I think one of the the interesting things is what will the prices be at Chelsea next season because uh you know, American owners normally are, are trying to to extract maximum cash from fans, uh, I think. I think personally, it would be a spectacular own goal if if they hiked the price of season tickets just because they could. Um, I don't know what the position is at Palace, but you know, it's been quite a few clubs have have upped prices for, for next season for fans as far as season tickets are concerned. And it's it's not
0: necessarily gone down well. Uh, I think there's been a slight increase in ticket prices at Palace, but if you ordered yours before yesterday you got it at the same price as last season. Um, The NFL ticket price one is interesting. My brother-in-law, who lives in – he's American, so he's entitled to live in America. Uh, (laughs) He uh, lives in Colorado. He's a huge Denver Broncos fan. I was quite taken aback when he told me how much tickets cost over there, which also explains how upset many NFL fans were when one of their games was taken away and taken to Wembley. Because mm. they didn't get a refund for it, so that will be interesting to see whether. I mean, it might be that the, the Bowley Group think that Chelsea fans, of all fans, are able to afford ticket height, but they're, they're not. Of course, they're not all West London oligarchs, are they? No, no, no.
1: no. Um, and, and they're already right at the the very top. Uh, I, I, for, for my sins, uh, work out on a spreadsheet the the average cost per fan per season of supporting a club and Chelsea are around about 1600-1650 quid Um, so they're right at the rate of I think Spurs are now the highest
0: but Chelsea are not far behind. How do you work that out? Is that just on terms of a season ticket divided by 19 games or is that including travel and and
1: that, that, that's pure, purely season ticket price. So, so, what I do, I take the total match day income, divide right. it by the average attendance, divide, uh, and that gives you your cost for the season. And then divide that by the number of home games to work out a a price per ticket. Uh, but
0: yeah, Ch- Chelsea are right up there at the very top. So those three thousand or so Chelsea fans who go to every away game are probably it's probably upwards of five six thousand pounds in to support their club every season. Yeah, by the, time, wow. the time
1: you factor in travel and everything, yeah, it, it, it's the same. It's the same for Liverpool fans. Sure. Uh, you know, it's, you, th- you think about the the season that Liverpool had that they they played in every single possible match that the yeah, club could 63, have played in. in yeah, sixty three
0: games. I think it was. Yeah. Um, so yeah, not 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 cheap being a football fan these days, but but we do it for the memories. Yeah, um, Dean Hoyle is going to regain full control of Huddersfield Town. Is that because Huddersfield Town lost the playoff final? Um, No, no. What happened was um,
1: Dean Hoyle was the owner of Huddersfield when they were promoted to the Premier League in 2017. And he then, after about 18 months, decided that he was going to sell to, I think it's Phil Hodgkinson, um, who... Who bought the club? Um, and I think by that stage we, we knew that Huddersfield were were not having a great season, were were, were on, on on their way to relegation. Um, and then there were some problems with Phil Hodgkinson's own businesses. He ran a, a sort of uh, it was a it was a sort of law firm, uh, one of these sort of you know no fee no no win yeah. organizations, um, and th- that was hit during COVID because. Court cases weren't necessarily taking place, and uh, his uh, his his other businesses, many of those went into administration. Um, Dean Hoyle uh, came back initially to cover some of the costs, but it looks like he's he's now taken full control back from Hill Phil Hodgkinson. I'm not sure whether he was fully paid for the. Uh, original sale of the business. Yeah, I think there were were some instalment payments, so I don't think it won't have cost him a lot. But uh, at least, at least Huddersfield Town fans will have a, a greater degree of security. And, and and again, this goes back to what we said in relation to the fan led review that you are one owner or one ownership decision from mm. you know fi- financial challenges. Um, and if if the owner's business starts to struggle. Um, and the owner is subsidizing the football club then then the football club's going to suffer as
0: well and who can forget Kieran uncle terry's legal firm with their unique <laughs> their unique catch rate which was uh, all fee no win <laughs> yes. uh, mark atanasio is the owner of the Milwaukee Brewers baseball team and he's in talks over an investment in Norwich city now i find this very interesting one Kieran because if you if you ask me to name a club in the Championship or the Premier League that wouldn't be in talks with an overseas investor. It would be Norwich City. It's not something you associate them. You associate them with a well-run but domestic football club. So this is a an interesting one. Also, the timing of it is interesting considering they've just been relegated.
1: Yes, but by all accounts, um, he he turned up uh, in the director's box with some of his colleagues for the last home match of the season. But I think it's fair to say Norwich didn't exactly cover themselves in no. glory. Um, and looking at social media, there appears to be a uh, a, a wave of dissent uh, from Norwich City fans with yeah. regards to the present ownership structure. Um, so, so Delia Smith and her partner, um, they 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 don't put a lot of money. Into the club, you know, Delia is. Uh, she, yeah, she's not. She's not selling the same level of books as no, of as uh, you know when, when you and I used to learn how to cook an egg, uh, yeah. thanks to her tutelage, um, and uh, yeah, therefore she doesn't have the resources. But Norwich as a club, you know, cleans its face. It, 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 it yeah. is run in a very sustainable, a very sensible manner, and and I've got a lot lot of admiration for that. The problem is is that. If you get to the Premier League and you don't have a huge amount of money to spend, you're, you're in that that dangerous position of, of being relegated, and that's what's happened there. So so there there is some there are some grumblings from from elements of the fan base, not all. Um, it now appears that uh, Mark uh, Atanasio is is looking only to buy a, a minority stake. So you know, around about eighteen percent is the figure mm. that I've seen quoted. Um, You know, how much is that going to cost him? And where is that money going to go to? And I think that's the most important thing, because there's two things that could happen. Delia Smith or some of the other shareholders could sell their shares to Mark Atanasio. And if that is the case, the club gets no money. This is merely, you know, two, two people yeah. doing a, doing a private deal. The alternative is that uh, the club issues shares to him, in which case uh, that there would be a cash injection um, for the for season you know twenty two twenty three. That does count towards financial fair play. The 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 first. Um uh, the first twenty-four million pounds of, of money from from shareholder injections contributes towards financial fair play or profitability and sustainability. Um so so that would be beneficial to the club in in terms of it going forwards um in terms of recruitment and retention of players over the course of the summer. So so that that's where we are. But yet again, it's yeah, we, we've just spoken about Chelsea, we have just uh yeah, we've spoken about Redbird, Milwaukee Brewer's owner. All american yeah. investors uh, now that 's partly due to what they perceive as being a, a cheap market in uh, in the, the u k uh, it 's been helped by the fact that uh, that sterling is, is is tanking at present uh, sterling 's very weak so so it makes the the, the, the u k clubs even cheaper th- than it was twelve months ago
0: it also plays into the hands of those conspiracy theorists who are constantly telling us. It only takes 14 American club owners in the Premier mm. League, and that's it. Relegation's gone. Um, I don't think Norwich City fans need worry. I mean, everything we we know about Delia and her partner would indicate that they would never do anything that was not beneficial to Norwich City Football Club.
1: Yeah, yeah, yes, absolutely. I think they they are they see themselves as custodians. Yes, Stuart, um yeah. and that, that that's great when you've got that uh, at an individual club basis. Um, it, it would be great if we could have that on a 92-club basis. Perhaps an independent regulator of football might help
0: you. <laughs> For all, all, all those of you at home playing independent regulator, bingo, you had to wait 23 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> Arsenal's women's team made a profit of 24000 in 2021, which sounds all right. But apparently the figures behind that tell a slightly different story.
1: Yes, uh you know many of the clubs in the the WSL have have lost money. Uh remember you know season 2021 was behind closed doors um and, and we have seen small losses but Arsenal, Arsenal published a profit and I thought well, that's you know fair play to them. Um they they generated uh you know 4.2 million pounds in the year. That's 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 wow, a good turnover. Yeah. Yes. Um so I thought well Let's let let's let's delve into the small print, and then you sign find that of uh of of that four point two uh, million pounds three point eight million of it came from the parent club. It, ah. it was effective, so um you know ninety percent of of Arsenal's revenue is is coming from the parent, and and that that in many ways is absolutely great. You know the the club is has been very competitive. It has had a good season, um but i think it is indicative of of where we are as far as the wsl is concerned it's in a it's in a a, a start uh industry perspective, uh, position yeah. and and it's going to need support um until it reaches that phase where it's effectively self-sustainable but but we we're, we're not that way yet and i think we've still got a fair way to go um because you know match day revenues okay match day revenues in in 2021 they're going to be you, know, you can't read, read too many conclusions from them. But if we go back the previous season, which was you know largely COVID-free, uh, the club only made ninety thousand pounds for the whole season from ticket sales, and, and and that's the, I think that's the challenge for the WSL. It's they want to get the numbers right, mm. uh, and in order to grow the audience who are physically turning up to matches, you're having to sell tickets at, at you know significantly. Effectively discounted prices, or, or giving them to to parties uh, to, to turn up, and, and you see, you'll see a great product. Uh, but but then, how do you go from that position mm. to start to charge a more uh, a more sustainable, a more competitive
0: uh, fee to, in order to watch the matches? Um, that three point something million pound that came from the parent team does that count towards Arsenal's FFP?
1: It does, yes. So, so any any monies paid into any any losses incurred by the um, by the by the men's team in relation to supporting the the women's team are uh, are exempt from FFP. So, so it's it's one of the it's one of the virtuous spending areas that uh, the the Premier League and the EFL are, are very keen to promote. You know, women's football, academy football, community schemes, all of these things, which have a yeah, uh, you know, have an enhancing impact on 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 the on the local community and 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 the area.
0: Massive game for Scotland's national team tonight, Kieran. But interesting news from two of Scotland's clubs: uh, Stenhousemuir made a profit of one hundred thirty thousand pound in twenty twenty one. Hamilton Academical lost one hundred thirty one thousand pound in twenty twenty one. My first reaction was: Did stenhouse Stenhousemuir and Hamilton have a hundred thirty thousand pound bet <laughs> that one of them lost? But it's interesting. I mean, from Ten Hours point of view, from what we've been talking about Scottish football recently, that seems like a, a, a huge number. But the Hamilton one is worrying because we had a, a plaintive question just a few weeks ago from a Hamilton fan that that led you to explain because they've, they've, I mean, their fixture numbers, their numbers, their crowd attendance has gone through the floor, and they've gone. It seems in just a few seasons from a, a well-run club to one that's lost one hundred thirty-one thousand pounds in a year.
1: Yes, yeah. We are seeing that uh, there's an awful lot of results uh, coming out for Scottish clubs on, on a daily basis at present for, for technical reasons. Um, and and in, in the main, the Scottish clubs are, are turning a profit. And, and you can say, well, why is it that so many clubs in England lose money? And, and yet in Scotland, uh, you know, probably 70 or 80% of them are, are breaking even, even in a COVID year. First of all, you, you've got to give some credit. There's been some very very generous benefactors to Scottish football who have spread the money around um the the government's given on interest free loans which which has helped cash flow yeah. um but the other main issue is that the the gaps between divisions between the the premiership and the championship is only half a million pounds so, so why why gamble uh, you know whereas you know, we, we just we've just been you know talking about Forest's achievement they're going to get an extra 100 to 120 million pounds from from going from the championship to the Premier League, it's half a million pounds. The same situation in in Scotland. So the incentive to gamble and lose lots of money doesn't exist in football. Um, fair fair play to Stenhousemuir. Muir. You know, it's a terrible thing. It's it's one of those one of those names we grew up with as kids. Um, could could I? Pinpoint it on on a map of Scotland. I think I'd probably struggle, um, but but that's the same. Yeah, you know, and that's part of the beauty of football because you, you, you do start to to go to Google Maps after looking up these things. Mm. Um, so yeah, Scott, Scottish football is is had an OK season twenty twenty one because it doesn't live in the main within with yeah you know, outside of its means. But yeah, the Aki's results aren't aren't great. Uh, and hopefully they can start to reverse those. But uh, I think I think they need to build a few bridges in terms of building up the fan numbers
0: first. Mm. There's no doubt, Kieran, probably the feel-good club of the year at the moment is Newcastle United. Their fans are happier than they have been for some time. But also, uh, good news for off-the-field, non-playing staff this week.
1: Yes. Um, what's happened? Uh, Amanda Staveley's team have... Done sort of a sort of a root and branch review of the club, um, and yeah, you know, I think it's fair to say that anybody that has, has worked on the shop floor at a at a Mike Ashley Emporium uh, in other industries won't have been uh, overpaid, to put it mildly. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it, it turns out that uh, that the non-playing staff uh, at Newcastle United under Ashley um, hadn't received a pay rise for for some time um especially if they were yeah you know, yes yes we have minimum wage legislation but for those that are not on minimum wage they they they, they didn't do particularly well and uh, as as a result of this review um i think there's been a, a very significant uh, a, addressing of this issue because a football club is is more than the first team squad and of the managers you know, yeah, it, yeah. it is all about being a team, and that applies from you know, the person on reception who uh, you know, answers the phone or greets the per- you know, greets somebody as they come through the front door to the cleaners to the kitpers, kit staff. Uh, every every single person is is a cog in that machine. And if and if if you've got a lot of people with smiles on their faces, that makes the marginal difference to the players as well. Of course. Yeah, it makes them feel more welcome. So, uh, you know, fair play. To Newcastle, and and yeah, you know, when when I put this story out, I, there, there was a pushback from from some fans of other clubs to to say that it's all to do with sports washing and so on. But uh, you know, this this is giving working class people people who are working you know in an office in in Newcastle United uh, additional money, and, and we I think you can separate that from from the from the socio
0: political issues exactly. of the of the Middle East era. I, I don't think there's absolutely any doubt that there's an element of sports washing in there purchase of Newcastle United but as you say that's entirely different from recognizing that the staff there should be paid a decent wage and haven't been for for some time no so hats off congratulations to everybody involved in making that decision a final news story before we talk to the kit man (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. a report has discredited FIFA's claims around carbon neutrality about this year's World Cup I mean (laughs) I will end up watching the World Cup, of course I would, But again, this is yet another reason why you just wake up in the morning thinking, "Why on earth is it there in the first place?"
1: Yes, yeah, it's got this. This uh, this claim of FIFA's has got about as, as much credibility as that of the French Interior Minister uh, <laughs> with, with the what was it, forty thousand fake tickets.
0: Oh, oh my what? God! Just I know. Well, there. I mean, it, it clearly didn't occur to the the, the Interior Minister that. Several thousand people in that crowd were journalists. There was a lot of journalists mm. being kettled by the French police trying to get in to a game where they may not have paid for tickets, but 39,000 other people had paid a lot of money for legitimate tickets. So we discussed this on Sunday again. It's just like they just assumed they could blame the reputation of the Liverpool fans and everyone would go, oh, fair, fair enough. And they haven't. So good. Mm. Yes. Yeah. If, if UEFA don't sort that out, then, well, they will. They've got to. But it. It needs a level of investigation uh, as forensic as the one they did about England fans at Wembley. So there you are. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, anyway, but, sorry. Kim. Yeah. Uh,
1: so as far as FIFA is concerned, that they are desperate to have legitimisation of of the World Cup that's taking place in in November and December uh, this year. And one of those, the things they have been saying, well, it's it's going to be a very sustainable World Cup. Um, because it's going to be carbon neutral, and uh, you know sustainability. Yeah, we we we've got kids, I've got grandkids, and yeah. and so on. Um, I, I I want a world where they they can have uh, a decent future, um, in terms of the places where they grow up. So carbon neutrality uh, makes a lot of sense, but uh, FIFA's claims uh, just simply don't stand up to scrutiny uh, because we are now talking. About uh, fans having to be uh, flown in from Saudi Arabia because there's there's not enough hotel rooms in yeah. Qatar itself. Mm-hmm. Um, there's talk about effectively using cruise ships, sort of, uh, you know it, it not not too far away. And again, fans being you know having having to be brought across through, through that means and, and so on. Um, and uh, as, soon, as soon as you actually start to to crunch the numbers uh the, the fifa's claims uh, fall apart very very quickly um yeah and, and if, you, if you could come up with something which is a load of old cobblers just don't don't assume that everybody's going to swallow uh this nonsense and this this sort of really great and it, and it goes back to the french french uh, interior position it goes back to some of the stuff we hear from clubs themselves that uh, they they seem to think that we will swallow any old flannel um and and we won't uh and, and and we won't challenge it uh, and as and, you know yourself yourself have said on many an occasion you go to the porson's arms and you've you've got the whole set you know all sectors of society yeah. there from from people who are doing manual jobs to people who are judges and lawyers yeah. and accountants and you know, yourself we're working in the entertainment industry
0: um we're, we're we're not as dumb as as they like to think we are we haven't got an actual judge in there we've we got some people are very judgy, I have to say, that <laughs> we, we do have lawyers. The the hotel thing in Qatar is particularly galling, Kieran, because we know from experience, we've spoken to people involved in bids for tournaments, and one of the things right at the very top of the criteria is there is enough hotel accommodation uh, for all the fans that are likely to come. So again, this this World Cup was nodded through, with FIFA knowing fully that there wasn't enough space to accommodate all the fans that want to go. So it's, um, it's an outrage, but interview time, Kieran's I've, it's only an hour since we did it, but I'm looking forward to hearing it again. Um, Mark Underwood is the managing director of Elite Sports Group which includes their exclusive brand partner Danish kit manufacturer Hummel supplier of outfits to clubs like Southampton Everton Bristol City Coventry Charlton and Kilmarnock here and Las Palmas Sporting Braga and Odense elsewhere as you know everybody Kieran and I love a football kit preferably XL so we (laughs) we couldn't wait to talk to Mark and this is what he had to say This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace, Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping
1: from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items. To getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer.
0: You can try Notion for free when you go to Notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, Notion.com slash price of football, and start turning ideas into action. That's Notion.com slash price of football. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Before we start, uh, tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to Elite and then a little bit about Hummel. So just a five-minute essay question to start with.
2: Yeah, no problem, Kevin. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on here. Um, yeah, I've I've been with Elite Group seven years. And uh, prior to that, I spent some time working for various brands. So I worked for, for, with Reebok, with Fred Perry, um, and then also did some licensing work. So kind of Fell into football kit licensing in my previous role, where I worked with Manchester City uh, and Liverpool and the England FA on uh, on doing some licensed product for them. Um, and then, yeah, yeah, joined joined Elite seven years ago, where we just signed the first license deal with Hummel. And uh, at a time where Hummel were looking to get back into English football, so it was kind of a, a really good timing.
0: So, And for the benefit of those listeners, uh, by which I mean me, Mark, who don't really understand what licensing means, just can you just briefly explain what that process is whereby you're licensed to sell the kit?
2: Yeah, sure. Yeah. So um, if, if you take a, a license with a club like Liverpool, as an example, we, we would um, design and manufacture a, a collection of goods to be actually to be sold into the high street. Retails, whether it be Sports Direct or JD Sports, and basically we we would be granted a license right to um, use the club's intellectual property to manufacture those goods, sell it to the high street, and basically pay the football club a royalty.
0: Right, and this is as well as producing the kit for the club. Would that be?
2: No, 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 no. This this is completely separate. So, um, yeah, they, they, it's it's separate to the technical rights that they grant that supply the club. This is just pretty much like almost like a leisurewear. Um, fashion sportswear license.
0: I see, but you do supply kit to Southampton, Everton, other clubs like that, as we mentioned in our introduction, didn't you?
2: Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so under under the Hummel brand, yeah, we have we have full rights to to manufacture and supply um, all of our twenty two clubs now that we supply with Hummel.
0: Yeah, uh, and for those people around the world who uh, aren't really aware of Hummel, they are. A really iconic brand in Denmark, aren't they? I mean, they're established in 1923, and they're they're a brand that the Danish people are proud of, and they're very proud of their Danish roots, aren't they?
2: Yeah, c- completely. I mean, it's not until you actually travel to Denmark or Sweden where you realise how powerful Hummel is as a brand, right? Be- because it's it's as strong as as um, Adidas and Nike in that region. So you, you suddenly notice when you're on the aeroplane that half the half the aeroplane are wearing the brand. Oh, wow. Yeah, you know it's it's very very strong, and um, yeah, it's it's got great roots in the in the uh, in the territory. It's um, signed a long term deal with the the Danish national team, and and obviously with what happened to Ericsson at the Euros, cool. where where Denmark became everyone's second team. Um, I think they broke all records with the amount of replica product that they sold for, for that tournament.
0: Um, Which not sorry. Even before the Christian Eriksen thing, I think for a lot of football fans, Denmark was sort of their national team, second national team anyway. You always enjoyed watching Denmark play, partly because you would see that huge red wall of Danish fans wearing the you know the, the lovely bright red.
2: C- completely, yeah, yeah, and and you know they've always had a good link with the English Premier League. You know whether it be you know Schmeichel, but then also the people like Laudrup and. More, more frequently now, Schmeichel Junior. and Egg and those sort of guys. So there's a, there's a good link with with England and
0: British football. Mm. Mark, so many of the questions we get on the pod are about football kits. So many of them, football shirts, in particular, we get asked about the manufacturing process, the design process, the cost, bespoke versus off the shelf, the cost, third kits, the cost. We'll come on to all those things, especially the cost. But why is it? Why is it? Do you think, Mark, that football fans? myself and Kieran included are obsessed with kids um,
2: I mean in, in my experience you you kind of find it's almost becomes a little bit of a religion right the, 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 the support of, of their their football club that's been passed down by generations in a family that they that it's a it's a uniform that they wear and, and as I said it almost has kind of quite religious um, yeah. you know um, impact on people's lives. And, um, you know, just it never ceases to amaze me when you launch a new kit, how everybody is just desperate to get hold of the, the latest uh, new design. So, yeah, it, it's pretty. Um, yeah. It, I don't know whether it's because it's through through the um, through the generations or what, but we certainly have really, really um, patriotic people that love these
0: kits. It, I mean, there are entire websites dedicated to leaking details of, of kit design. I probably spend as much time Googling Crystal Palace new kit as I do Crystal Palace new players. Yeah. And, yeah, and- I mean,
2: they, 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 We actually, in a lot of cases, we, we have to sign NDAs with our football clubs so that we don't release these designs. I mean, it is literally um, that some of the most... Um, best kept secrets on these designs and you 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 have all the 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 guys on twitter leaking these designs that they think that they're they've got it right um but there's there's so much interest around it but you're right it is it's the best kept secret
0: it it certainly i mean I, i know a lot of people at palace at the club and they will happily give me a hint or some gossip about who we're buying who we're selling trying to get information out of about the new kit it's just impossible because because I, I I even I promise them I say, I won't tell anybody and they go yes you will so you you're not able to sit on that information But there is really is a wall of silence around the new kit which of course makes it all the more exciting when the kit is revealed
2: completely yeah I mean it's you see the spike around launch days where where people are are desperate to get it and even even sometimes you might launch a kit before you've got the stock in on on kind of like a pre sale and there's just this clamour for people to get it. Because they got a risk of missing out on it, so yeah, for sure, it's uh, it's pretty amazing.
0: Well, that again, that's really interesting because uh, Palace launched or, or revealed our kit, the, the wavy red and blue stripe kit, without having them to sell in the club shop. The away kit was available to sell, yeah, and the third kit was available to sell, but the home kit it was probably two two months in before the home kit was available to sell, which we all thought was. Typical palace inefficiency, but it turned out as I discovered. No, no, they wanted to. They wanted to build the clamour so that people were almost desperate to be the first to get hold of the home kit. Um, I should point out that, as I said, both Kieran and I are obsessed with kits, Mark. But there is one difference, isn't that? Uh, Kieran will happily wear another team shirt when he's out of his own house, which I think is shameful, and I won't do. Um, and I know Kieran's listening to this, and we'll bring him in later on, and he, he can be bowing his head. When we bring him in, uh, can we deal with one question, Mark? And this is going to, this is going to sound like a, a flippant question, but it's, it's not because it's, it's probably the thing I get asked most in pubs. It really worries fans, especially men of a certain age are extra large shirts getting smaller. <laughs> yeah. It it, it it is funny because we we
2: we're always constantly approached about the the size specifications <laughs> of our our jerseys. But um, no, we, we're certainly not slimming up our replica product. The, obviously, there, there are certain clubs that like the ProFit, which is like a spray on. Kit. I mean, I, I, was, me I it. certainly would not be able to better use it, but no, we're 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 not slimming down our replica product at all. No, we're, and we're we're actually going up to five XL in certain clubs for the because of the demand. So
0: five XL, yeah, yeah, crikey, yeah. Uh, what is? I've got a bit of room for growth. Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you. That. I mean, whether you look at sort of statistics year on year and, and and sort of decide, oh people seem to be getting bigger, so obviously we have to uh make the shirts bigger. But clearly, if you going into five XL. You're doing that anyway.
2: Yeah, there's demand for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we do. Um, yeah, we sell. We sell. Uh, the, the bigger sizes are the more popular for sure. But yeah, we're 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 being totally uh, stretched in terms of our, our 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 sizing requirements.
0: Yeah, I I know the chap who runs the club shop at Palace, and he he said they've they teach new staff um, a specific spiel for when a man of a certain size asks for a profit shirt. <laughs> uh, uh, just, just they point out the, the, the potential difficulties of them getting it. Can we, uh, can we get the cost question out of the way, Mark, as it comes up a lot with our listeners, and there's still a perception from very many people that shirts are made very cheaply a long way away and sold very expensively here. What, what are the basic economics of kit manufacturing? Because I'm assuming that, that model I've just described is quite an old-fashioned one.
2: Yeah, I mean the, the, the reality is is that if 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 you wanted to um you could probably could manufacture a, a football jersey pretty cheaply. Um but there there's quite a lot of that's actually changed in the market now. You know, we 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 will only work with and as most brands do really really well established um well audited factories in terms of their social compliance and and the way that they they manufacture. So um, you know when you go out to to vietnam or china now and you you look at these factories they they're certainly not maybe the sweatshops that people might have previously thought were manufacturing these jerseys so um you know the 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 quality of of of, of the manufacturing facilities has gone up massively certainly in the last 10 years that I've I've seen um you know the the reality is that half of the cost of a of a of a football jersey is is mainly mainly fabric actually oh,
0: okay it,
2: yeah, you know, you have um, lot, lots of that. That cost um, is fabric. You know, we, we're using recycled polyester now in all of our jerseys, which is more expensive than regular polyester. Um, and of course, they're not just—it's not just regular poly. On poly, a lot of times, you have to put mesh into it and make it breathable and to be able to perform. So, fa- fa- fabric's expensive when you when you're doing a lot of um, very bespoke designs. It adds a lot of cost in as well because the the trims that go into it, or if you're um, yeah putting extra details in, and so the the actual labour cost w- within a jersey is probably only about twenty five thirty percent of the cost of the jersey. But then you know we we now have some quite heightened cost with regards to transportation. Mm. Um, you know, but since since COVID, we've seen. The cost of freight containers just go up unbelievably. I mean, it's so expensive to move products around the world now. So, right. um, yeah, we. So, so I suppose a bit of a long-winded answer to your question is is that it's probably not as cheap as people think it is to to manufacture because it's not just a basic T-shirt.
0: Yeah, of course, but Kieran, I'll, I'll bring you in here, hopefully with your head still bowed in shame because you've been wearing that Beric kit. Uh, um, and so many people who talk to us. Uh, feel that they are a hostage to fortune in a way because they, they feel that manufacturers know that they will buy the shirt no matter what the cost and therefore manufacturers feel able to add expenses on and it's, it's the consumer, the buyer of the shirt that, that ends up paying for them.
1: Well, th- th- there's an element of that. But remember, ultimately, the-, the price for the shirt will have been negotiated normally between the club and the manufacturer and potentially a retailer as well, if it's going to the likes of JD Sports or Sports Direct. Um, and uh, those organisations are taking quite significant shares of profit as well. So uh, you know, I think to to point all of the blame at the manufacturer is, is harsh. Mm. Um, and... and- yeah, I, I, I take on board Mark's comments. Yeah, I, certainly when I see some of the uh, some of the uh, uh, shirts, which are supposedly, yeah, you know, which which are presumably are of the same standard as worn by the players, sort of to, to see a forty pounds hike. Uh, I think in terms of the New England shirt, I think uh, Nike is selling it seventy five regular and one hundred and fifteen for the uh, the pitch ready. Uh, I'm trying to work out whether there's an extra £40 pounds of material there. But I think, in terms of the pointing the fingers at the manufacturers, is probably harsh because there
0: are other parties taking a slice of the pie. Mm. Uh, Mark, as well, another frequent complaint is the annual kit change. But I'm guessing that's not your decision, is it? Uh,
2: no, no, they. Most clubs like to freshen up each season, and um, yeah, they 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 like to create um, create something new and fresh. So yeah, for sure, there is there's always a, a, a desire from clubs to to freshen up jerseys each season.
0: Yeah, mm. it, it, if a team, if one of your teams, uh, for example, were like Forest Green and Brentford, say, and they said to you, "We want the kit made out of bamboo. We want the same design for two seasons." Do you think that's very laudable, very sustainable, or do you think, well, it's going to be harder to make a profit out of that?
2: Um, Difficult to say, really. I'll be really interested to see what happens with with, with Brentford this year on their sales, because, um, you know, will will fans uh, buy another one? You'd think not, um, unless it's been through the wash the wrong way or or something (laughs) like that. So, um, yeah, not not really sure on that one as to whether it would work. I mean, my, my gut feel would be, straight away that the, the, the club will, will be missing out on very important revenues, um, you know, because ultimately we're, we're all trying to create revenue into the football club to allow them to buy better players to 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 play on the pitch, right?
0: So that's what it's all about, you know. So, um,
2: yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how that develops.
0: Do you know what, Mark? That's really interesting. And again, I'm going to bring Kieran in, in here because I haven't got a business brain at all. So my reaction to the Bradford thing was just, well, that's good for fans, but it, it it didn't occur to me that they might have a second season where they're not selling shirts. So, Kieran, how much of a, of a club's income at a level like Brentford would be from selling replica kit?
1: Um, I, it, for Brentford, it won't be... A huge amount of money because you know they're, they're Brentford. They've got a local fan base. They're, they're not Manchester United, who are looking you know, under the under the terms of the Manchester United deal. They're getting seventy five million a year from from Adidas um, as a as a down, as effectively as a down payment, and, and then they get a commission on top. So I, I think for Brentford, we are looking if, if they sell twenty thousand shirts, thirty thousand shirts, um, then then you sort of you, you multiply that by. Fifty quid, you knock off VAT, you knock off the the shares for other. Not a huge amount will be coming to a club such as Brentford, and and if you and if you read what they have said, they are prepared to to take that. I think it, it would be less than the difference, but uh, in terms of one position in in the Premier League, but equally the additional money that you could get from having a fresh kit could. Give you that boost in terms of either retaining or signing a player, which could push you up that one place. So, so it's it's a difficult one on which to to reach a financial conclusion. And I also say to people, you know, it's a bit like I think kits these days. It's a bit like phones. You know, Apple bring out a new iPhone every year. You you don't have to go and get get rid of your first one and, and get the brand new one. And we, I think, we are seeing a lot of fans. Not buying three kits a year, yeah. You that know, they are effectively letting the home kit or the away kit. Uh, they get two seasons worth of use out of it. But there's, you know, the the kids are growing up, so therefore, the, yeah, you know, they probably want a new shirt because they they won't necessarily fit into the
0: same one as last season. Yeah, funny. I got my my latest iPhone. I got the day before we lost the cup final at Wembley in 2016. Uh, why I won't get rid of it, I don't know because it's just full of photographs of disappointed Palace fans, but um. Mark, this is a question that really uh interests a lot of our listeners and Kieran and I when you get the contract to supply a team, a new contract, say so you're you're supplying a team for the first time, yeah. How long does the process take from signing the contract to designing the kit to the first team walking out wearing it? Um, I suppose from end to
2: end it's it's roughly um it's roughly a year.
0: Okay, well, okay
2: yeah yeah because uh if you make manufacture in Asia, you need kind of three months manufacturing time. you probably need another two months on the water um to transport it port it over and then um yeah there's there's just the backwards and forwards with with the club on on kit designs we We would normally take a brief from the club in terms of what they wanted the kits to be um you know the the home kit is always the The easiest one, but also the most difficult one because it will always be the same colour. So it's how do you make it a little bit different to last season or what what do you you add into it in terms of detail? And uh, with with Hummel in the UK, we do a very, very bespoke attack on our kit. So we try and make sure we put the, the heartbeat of the football club or the city into the jersey. So we might go to a club with 20 or 30 different designs and they will go backwards and forwards over a period of maybe two or three months to... Whittle it down to the actual final designs, and then we would move to a sample, get it sampled, present samples, and then we'd sign off before we replace our bulk orders. Um, normally, in a kind of like a September, October of the previous season to make sure it's in for
0: April, May of the following season, following year. Right. I, I want to come back to that design aspect, but just for can I just clarify? Did you just say the kits spend two months on the water? So they're at they've been, it's two months transportation time. Yes,
2: it is. Yeah, yeah. Because we, 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 we would would never. um, Well, we would never plan to put anything on an aeroplane to transport it on. So it's all coming, on a on a freight container in. in um, Yeah, through the Suez Canal and up and round and um, uh, up to us. So we always allow. It's actually in the height of COVID. It was eleven weeks it was taken to get from Mm -hmm. Asia to to the UK. But yeah, we generally allow eight, eight weeks.
0: So for for two months of that process, the the fate of those kits are entirely out of your hands.
2: Yeah, yeah. So if um, if all, if all of a sudden an ocean liner goes sideways in the Suez Canal, we have got a problem.
0: Wow, and we saw on the news all of us, you know, those those pileups as you mentioned earlier, uh, the pileups at freight supply docks, yeah, in this country. I mean, that must have been a very worrying time for you as well.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. Not, not just our industry, it was every industry, right? You know, you yeah. just t- t- moving freight became really, really difficult. So, yeah, you just all you can do is, um, I mean, you, you can plan, you can get your orders in early, uh, get goods to leave on time, and then just keep your fingers crossed that uh, nothing goes wrong.
0: I, I think it's really interesting to hear what you say about uh, the home kit being more difficult because I wanted to ask whether. And you've also, you've semi answered this already, and I'm pleased to hear that it is tradition as important to to you to Hummel as it is to a club. I, I'm, I'm assuming if, for example, you got the contract at Crystal Palace, you wouldn't go to them and say, "Look, why don't you get rid of the red and blue stripes?" But uh, on the other side of that is like if we do you a traditional home kit, do, do you say, "Well, can we fill our boots with the away kit then," or or can we have the design for the for the third kit? Can we come up with something, or is the club saying to you, "No, know we want"? we want this for each kit and we want, you know, each kit has to incorporate various colors.
2: Yeah. It's, it's, it's really different, Kevin, club to club, to be fair. So um, the, the home kit will always be the home kit. You know, we, we, we never ever say, okay, Southampton this season, it's not going to be red and white as an example. So we, we know, we know that's probably, well, we'll always be the same color. So the challenge there is just to make it different and put as much as you can into it. The, the away, is always um, about clashes. So we need to make sure that, you know, when, when the club travels away that um, if someone clashes with red and white, then you're able to uh, fill the team in the, in the correct kit. What, what, what you find is, is, is the one you can have a real play with is normally the third kit. Yeah. So, so that could be around a collaboration or an anniversary or uh, a special edition. So yeah, home is always home away. Think about the clash. And then third is is your is your fun time really? I
0: I love the idea of fun time because it it transpires that both Kieran and I were the sort of child who would waste a lot of time at school drawing shirt templates and then designing kit colours. Do people send? Did you get people sending you on spec kit? Yeah, you know, all the time.
2: Really, yeah, all the time. It, it, from every club, they've they've always got ideas, you know, and, and some of them are pretty good actually. Uh, so yeah we, we uh, we're always open to to hear from people i mean that probably the the most iconic third kit that we've done in recent year was pro- probably coventry or coventry third kit two seasons ago
0: yeah
2: i don't know if you saw it we did a collaboration with the specials who are from coventry it was yeah a, of course it was the 40th anniversary of um of the two-tone album kind of like the Scar movement so that black and white checkerboard
0: yeah and, um,
2: we're actually constantly asked to, to bring that back and you know a a white shirt with black and white checkerboards hadn't been done before, but now it's become a a really, really iconic kit. And we, the Coventry fans, but also fans of the specials all over the world, we were shipping um, really global on that front. So, yeah, it
0: does give you an opportunity for sure. Well, do you know what? I'm amazed Kieran hasn't got that kit because he and I are both huge fans of the specials. My wife is from just outside Coventry, so she's a huge fan of the specials. It might be the first football kit I can get her to wear. It's, yeah, it's um, awesome, yeah. I, I, black and white is fine mark but i've I've got to ask you this, and I know it's an old man's question, but when did colours get such fancy names? Nothing's blue or red anymore. It's all peacock crimson so <laughs> <laughs> well i mean I, do you, does each kit manufacturer have a specific palette of of fancy names the sort of names you don't see outside a Farrow and ball paint shop
2: yeah i mean we officially we all, we all work with pantone references so so they do all have codes. Right, um, but each manufacturer will, will call it its own special, special name. To be fair, so yeah, we do kind of introduce that, um, and it's it's only because in each in each in the color palette, you know, there's forty or fifty different shades of red. So, you know, we, we have to reference the, um, like you say, the the peacock or the crimson or whatever it might be with yeah. with a particular Pantone code. So, uh, yeah, but it but it does it is different um, brand to brand, I believe.
0: And, and without necessarily giving us financial details, Mark, what is the difference between working with a club like Everton, for example, and a club like Cambridge United? Because, again, that's something our listeners are very interested in, this idea of a bespoke kit for one team and a, a sort of more or less off-the-shelf kit for another. Is that how it works?
2: Um, various brand-to-brand, brand, Kevin, to be honest with you. I mean, we, we with Hummel in the UK, all, all of our clubs... Like you say, whether it be Everton or Cambridge United, get a fully bespoke kit. So oh, we, all of them, okay? Yes, yeah, we, we we do. Yeah, they all the designs are seriously thought through, and you know, I think I think it's why we've been fairly successful recently because it's all none of it is templated. It's all all very much um, bespoke in, in line with what the the club brief and what they need and what we agree with. So, um, but that's that's not all brands. Some brands do right. do use templates for sure.
0: And uh, two short questions to finish finally, Mark, and uh, I really do thank you for your time. Um, the question we get asked at least once a week, uh, I don't know why it obsesses people so much, is when you supply Southampton, Everton, Cambridge, Charlton, Coventry, how many, sh- how many sets of kit do you supply to each club at the start of each season? Um, it,
2: it's very, very different for each club. Kevin, to be honest with you, so you know we will within the within the kit contract, the, the club has a as a as a gifted element. So, right. so okay. we, we supply the club with a with a with a gifted element which supplies all of the teams, first teams, academies, women's teams. So that that's all taken care of. And then, yeah, there the, there is then a, a retail element of it which we supply, and, and it, it varies so unbelievably from club to club that a, a, a Premier League club like everton compared to a League two club, you know like we might have a an oldham athletic or a or a a cambridge there are they're hugely different hugely right.
0: different okay um and finally mark Hummel have always supplied kits for different sports not like handball for example and in, in the past couple of years, you're supplying kits to rugby league teams now, and I noticed one in particular a recent one uh Cornwall rugby league team. What? How different is the economics in kit supply to sports like rugby league compared to football? Because I, I would guess there's a huge gulf in the in the money that a rugby league team would be able to spend on a, on a kit supply than a Premier League football team.
2: Yeah, you, you're dead right. I mean the the amount of uh, amount of money in rugby league compared to Premier League football is just unbelievable because they they don't have the the huge sky money. Uh, that's that's rocking in. So, it's it's why why you'll probably see six or seven sponsors on a rugby league kit rather than a Premier League kit that will just have one because uh, okay. they can't command the, uh, the 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 value in in sponsorship. So, uh, yeah, very 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 different sport. Um, great sport to be in. I, lo- I love being within rugby league. You know, some of the the most legendary players that have played the game are now in the commercial side of the club because they obviously. Haven't made the money that that a retired footballer would would make. So, you know, I think about Chris Radlinski at Wigan Warriors, yeah, who's their their chief exec at the moment, who's heavily involved and a great guy and one of the greatest players to ever play the sport. Yeah, and um, but yeah, no, ve- very very different, um, very financially set up, very very differently. And then obviously from a kit perspective, we have to make the kit. We actually make the kit in Lithuania a a, a a very very highly technical bespoke factory that can produce jerseys that where people are beating ten bells out of each other for most of the game and trying to rip it off each other's back. So it's uh, it's quite a different challenge in that respect.
0: Oh, that's interesting. So the manufacturing process is different because they've got to be stronger and more durable.
2: Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean they uh, they they do the, the the jerseys go through an unbelievable amount of, of, of tension and stress during the games because mm. as I said, they, they, that's just the, the nature of the sport
0: it always makes me laugh when I'm watching football on TV and, and you know, Gary Lineker or Jeff Stelling will talk about a, a legendary hard man football player. And you think you need to meet some rugby league players and yeah. some jockeys because yeah, if you want a lot. proper hard sportsman. Some a story, I remember talking to a couple of rugby league players about the injuries that they had and still play through. It's like these blokes are trying to run off a broken leg. They're amazing. Um, Mark, it's been really interesting to talk to you. I can't thank you enough Pleasure. for your time. Um, there's a lot of insight in there. Uh, I, I, I suspect in a couple of weeks' time, you might be getting some mysterious kit designs from uh, an address in South London and an address in Sussex. Because, Love it. Uh, uh, yeah. And, of course, yeah. if you've got, as we stop recording, Mark, if you have any information, I, I know you don't supply Palace, but if you've got any gossip about this, <laughs> I thought I'd give it a go, Mark. You're not going to tell me.
2: Worth and a try. Worth it's, a
0: try. <laughs> it's been great talking to you, Mark. Thank you very much indeed.
2: Pleasure. Thanks, guys.
0: Found it really interesting that interview, Kieran. There's a lot of insight there. He he acknowledged uh, his understanding of of how many fans still think that the kits are bought and made too cheaply and sold too expensively. But there's a couple of things. It always happens. We we start chatting to people when we've stopped recording. I, I was really interested because in I asked him where they get their inspiration from kits. Do they look at other clubs that they're not involved with? And he said, no, their inspiration is all from history. They spend a lot of time on eBay buying as many old shirts of the club as they possibly could to make sure they've got the tradition right. Uh, and also, a little bit uh, of gossip, well, it's not gossip, but it's just, it, it, I wish we'd got him to say this <laughs> on it. Uh, I tried really hard to find out if he knew what Palace's kit was going to be. He didn't, or if he did, he didn't claim it. But it's 100 years next year. The the Hummel were formed in 1923. So he said, those clubs that have. Hummel kits next season uh, in for a, a surprise, he said. So clearly, there's something going on. But it was a fascinating interview, Kieran, and I'm sure you were more interested or as interested in the economics of the kit manufacturing as the actual designing with the colours.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was it was brilliant, and uh, you know the, the the length of time and and the the degree of care that goes into you know, when you hear that they are they are you know potentially pitching you know, up to 25 different variants of the shirt to the club itself shows that uh, it, it's not a case of, uh, and, and I think this is, you know, we, we're, not, we're not here to blow smoke up Pommel's nose up, up, or, or, or even up their backside if I get, get the right place. Um, but, um, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll blow it up their nose, you blow it up the other end, how's that? <laughs> right okay. <laughs> um, but the fact that they will give each of their clubs bespoke kits is is absolutely fantastic because there are other manufacturers where yeah. you you are pretty certain you go oh this this looks very much like uh, such and such a uh, such and such a kit and and, and you realise that that you are effectively being fobbed off as the as the cheap relation in in the relationship because you know you're not Manchester United you're not Liverpool you're not Bayern and so on um, and and you're just getting something you know, off, off the peg which you could probably buy for fifteen quid. Uh, at a, at a normal uh, sports shop, and it just happens to have your badge sewn on as as your second or third kit, and you feel just a little bit cheated. So so fair play for Hummel for their for their approach of of making something which is which is individual. Um, and I think that's the advantage of of pairing with a yeah you know, one of the one of the, the the more uh idiosyncratic uh sports manufacturers. But yeah, you know, as we said, yeah, they are they are huge in Scandinavia.
0: Yeah, I I was pleasantly surprised by the answer to that question. It was one of those I was actually looking forward to having a bit of a Paxman moment when I said to him, "Why? Come on now, why is it with the big clubs you you do bespoke kits, but clubs like Cambridge, it's off the peg?" And so his answer threw me a little bit. I said, "No, no, we take a bespoke approach to all the clubs. I particularly like the, the, that Coventry third kit as well, based on mm. the 40th anniversary of the specials." Which was great a two-tone kit. Anyway, let's we'll be here all day if we keep talking about kits. And we can't, Kieran, because we've got to prepare for something tonight. Because tonight, Thursday, the second of June, it's our end of season price of football Zoom quiz. We won't be posting a link on social media this time, as we explained. Instead, you can find the link in the description of this episode on your podcast app. Hope to see you there. And thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to join them and make a small monthly contribution to the pod, please go to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. And if you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at In the meantime, I shall hand you over to Stakira Maguire for his customary farewell
1: well as always folks thank you so much for for your support for the show and, and the different ways in you uh, you you keep us on our toes and, and you uh, and you show what you like and what you don't like um patreon is, is one method for as little as a pound a month uh you can you can help to to uh running the show um and uh, another way of doing that is to go to your podcast app it could be you know google podcasts or spotify or apple Podcasts. um and, and if you could give us a review uh, it, it it helps us in the charts and uh we, we've been as high as number seven mm. in, the, uh, in, in the sports charts, which for a, you know, for a niche show, we're, we're absolutely dead chuffed about, and, and we're very grateful for that. Um, according to Producer Guy, it's, it's, if you give us the five stars or whatever you think we're worth, uh, that, that's the important thing. It doesn't matter what you write. You, you could even say you would rather the show was presented by Detective Harry Callahan. From the <laughs> 1970s movies featuring Clint Clint Eastwood and Clint Boone of the Inspiral Carpets, and, and it and it doesn't make any difference to myself or Kevin, and it doesn't make a difference to to apparently
0: our position in the charts either. I I, I just love the idea of Detective Callaghan saying, "You feel lucky, punk," and Clint going, "I'm not a punk. I'm oh, <laughs> very far from being a punk." That's a great pairing. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.
2: I football.